Mark Long has had some hard jobs. He started his career in NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He was doing R&D on satellite robotics, literally rocket science. He went on to join a startup that invented online billing before online billing existed. And then he helped Amazon figure out how to deliver packages on time in Beijing. Obviously, he isn't one to back down from a challenge. But Mark is currently taking on a problem so ingrained in reality so big that I'm skeptical about any success being made. He's trying to make going to a doctor's appointment easy and even pleasant. He's saying goodbye to the weeks-long wait for an appointment, the labyrinth of phone menus that you can never figure out, and the endless forms that need to be filled out. There must be a better way to do this. But Mark's thinking way beyond doctor's appointments, at least as we think of them right now. He's asking, what if you could order a house call as easily as calling an Uber? or video conference with a nurse during your lunch break. Mark is the VP of Digital Innovation at Providence St. Joseph Health, and he and his team are trying to do pretty much all of those things and make them a reality, not like in 10 years, but in a couple months. GeekWire editor Todd Bishop and I got to sit down with Mark for our second health tech live show. And on this episode, we're sharing an edited version of our conversation. So without further ado, I'm Claire McGrain. Welcome to Health Tech, the podcast where we take you to the cutting edge of digital health. Stay with us. GeekWire's Health Tech podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, leveraging best-in-class digital tools to relentlessly reimagine health and healthcare. Follow them on Twitter at ProvInnovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, making it easier, more collaborative, and more rewarding to take charge of your health. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. So we're going to hop in talking kind of on a big level about one of the big goals of tech innovation and healthcare, and that's basically to make the interaction and really the relationship between a patient and between their care provider smooth and easy. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Why is that so right. important? How are you approaching that? So Providence has um, made a shift in its thinking, and we're saying it out loud, which is we're trying to become a health company, not a healthcare company. And, and it sounds like a, a distinction, but it's a big difference, which is how do we become a partner in your health, not a place to go when you're sick? If you think about, okay, who do I want to have as my partner in my lifelong health for myself and my family? Well, certainly you want to have somebody you trust and you have a great relationship with. And so what I say today is, you know, would you want to have a relationship with somebody who poked you in the eye every time you ran into them? Of course not. But let's be honest. Getting an appointment, you know, you call up a specialist, you beg and plead, it takes two or three months, you show up, they give you a clipboard in the waiting room and they say, fill this out. And then you ask the same question they asked you last time and you go into the room and they ignore what you wrote and they ask you again. It's not really a comfortable, like, hey, this is a person I want to have a relationship with. Once you get to the doctor, that's great. But the rest of the system is often a little challenging. So we say if we really want to get to the point where we're your partner for yourself and your family, we need to be able to create that relationship. And we need to deserve and earn the right for that relationship. And the first thing we have to do is get the transactions to be easier. So right now we have a lot of choice and we're driving toward a consolidated experience. But you think about what are my choices, depending on your health plan, so through Providence Health Plan, if you're a health plan member, we have oh, we have a nurse helpline. If you um, you go into our app, you can do a virtual visit, right? And that's video through your laptop or your phone. You can meet with a nurse practitioner. We've got Express Care, which some are walk-in clinics and some are inside of a Walgreens or another retail site. 
We've got urgent care sites. We've got primary care docs. We've got you know, emergency rooms. So right there, you have seven or eight different choices for care. Right? And many of those um, were starting to drive toward a consolidated experience. And, and we, internally, we call it this get care now. Just help me understand my choices. Help me decide which one's right for me. And if a virtual visit, just let me do it on my phone right now. If it's somebody you can send to my home, right? let me just drop the pin like I do with Uber. Tell, tell you where I am and when are you going to be there. right? Or show me the nearest walk-in clinic and show me what the appointments are available. And just you know say, oh, it's 1.2 miles away to, on a map. Here's the pin, 8 o'clock. Great, I'm there. So it's really providing that kind of ease of understanding of the options and choice. You know, For 40 years, we've, we've trained people. Healthcare is two things. It's your primary care doc or it's the emergency department. So now we have all these choices. Still, if you go, urgent care has been around for a long time, and you ask people, what is urgent care? They're like, I don't really know, right? My parents are like, you know, in Pennsylvania, they're like, well, something's going on Friday night. I'll just go to the urgent care. Uh, no, I don't really understand what that is, right? And so it's, we're getting there. So now there's the expand of choices, but people don't really understand, okay, well, when do I go to, to which one, and is it covered, and what's my copay? So we have a lot of work to do as we're expanding choice to really try and educate folks what's the right venue for them. So you're bringing back the house call in in an Uber style. Uh, So how much uptake are you seeing of this? At what stage of the rollout are you? Is this more experimental at this point or is this full-blown in the system? This is absolutely experimental. So we started with full-blown MDs. The next step was let's do it with nurse practitioners, right? And it's really trying to understand the demand in the market. And it runs the full gamut from somebody who's about to go on an international business trip that needs to be seen in their office to some Somebody we've you know seen seen folks who haven't been out of their house in years, right? Which is you know obviously a, you know a serious issue, but again, it's providing a level of access and choice that wasn't been there before. So we're really in the early experimental stage in parts of Los Angeles and parts of downtown Seattle, and so we're really just trying to learn and understand the market. But we really see this as a huge opportunity over time, and we'll get to telehealth in a second. But if you can imagine over time, say we go from an MD to a nurse practitioner and maybe send an MA to your house, right, a medical assistant. Well, that person can then beam in through telehealth. Well, maybe you need a social worker. Well, maybe you need a cardiologist, right? So it's really difficult to send all of those specialists to your house. But over time, we can really make them available through telehealth. And again, I'm talking over the years, right? We're really in the early experimental stage to get the logistics worked out, to understand the market. How much appetite is there among consumers, among patients for this? Or or do you see people actually wanting to do it? Or is it... Are the people stuck in the old model as well? Are the patients Absolutely. stuck in the old model? And, and it's great you said that. You know, Aaron, our chief digital officer, talks about adoption triggers. And what we see both with the at-home and also with our virtual visits, um, which is video over your phone, is the people who use it love it. I mean, the NPS scores are off the charts. The, you know, the 80, you know, 85% of virtual visits say, you know, it's better, equal or better than being in person. What we're having trouble with is getting people to try it. So it's that little adoption clip. Well, what is it? And can you really do it? And people are a little skeptical, like, well, don't I need to be there with all the instrumentation or there for you to kind of look in my ears in person, right? And so many of the things, medically, you don't need to be there in person, or it's fine to have somebody come to your house without all of the machinery. It's really helping people to understand these different choices and get them comfortable. That's really the challenge, right? And it's, and it's a marketing challenge. It's an experiential challenge. It's an education challenge. Claire and I were having a discussion as we were preparing for the show about the definition of telehealth and telemedicine. Right. 
How do you define it? And can you describe the current state of the art, where the health industry is overall as it relates to telehealth getting this kind of care or guidance right. over a smartphone or a phone. Yeah. So, so in terms of definition, I mean, that's one of those, you know, black holes you could get into. Some people would say, gee, I had an email with my provider. That's telehealth. Okay. And some people agree with that. Some people don't. Other people say uh, things like remote monitoring. So maybe I sent a, a wired, an IOT kind of device with you at home after surgery to monitor blood pressure or whatever. And that's telemedicine. And, and, and in some cases it is. Traditionally, what we think about, or I should say myself, um, it's really, am I having a, an encounter with a medical professional in real time over video? That really comes in a broad spectrum of flavors. On the kind of what we call the low acuity side, it's, hey, I'm going to do an express care virtual visit. I have a respiratory infection, or I, I don't know if I have a cold or a flu. Do I need antibiotics or don't I need it? Or, you know, my classic example is I get the same ear infection every six months. I don't need to like take a half a day off work and try and find an appointment and go and sit in the waiting room and pay 10 bucks for parking. Just look at my record, send the antibiotics down to the corner drugstore. I'm done in 17 minutes, right? <laughs> and so there's those kinds of convenient side of things. On the other side, you have the true high acuity. So the classic is telestroke, right? You're in a small hospital um, and or even in a large hospital and there doesn't have to be doesn't happen to be a vascular neurologist on staff when you come into the emergency room with a stroke. That's critical. Minutes matter, right? As our as our as our neurologist friends say, you know, seconds are brain, right? Because <laughs> you're really losing brain. So that's another case where we've kind of beamed in that vascular neurologist to be the partner with the emergency room physician to kind of diagnose that patient and figure out the kind of the course of treatment. So it really spans the spectrum and then there's many in the middle of the different acuity stages. And when you look at the industry overall, what are the key next steps to increase adoption to improve the experience? What, right. If you could snap your fingers, wave a magic wand, and solve two or three <laughs> problems, what would they be? How do we get people to try these things so they really kind of understand, okay, well, this is actually better. And one of the kind of interesting, unique things we found out with virtual visits was people feel actually a higher level of engagement with their provider over video than in person. And first, I was like, well, really? that's really huh. bizarre. That, that is surprising. Right? So sit there. When you think about you're in the clinic room, your doctor's sitting there looking at you, typing in the EHR, looking at you, typing your medical records. In the video, they're looking at you 100% of the time because the camera's focused on them. They're looking at you, and they're, they're up close. And, and, there's, and there's a very intimate kind of personal engagement going on. And they might be typing, but they're looking at you nonstop. And it's, a, and it's a very interesting, very counterintuitive thing. But many of our patients are saying, this was really fantastic. I felt heard. I felt listened to. The person was looking at me you know, 98% of the time instead of 70% of the time. <laughs> yeah. And so as over time, to, to your question, is as people to get level of comfort to say, if I just have a respiratory infection or an earache or a flu, video is really fine, you know. And you know, and so so that's kind of the the next big quantum leap. There is is people's comfort, and it's not just on the patient side. The same thing goes for one of the experiments we're running is doctors having follow-ups. So say you have some sort of chronic condition, you need to check in with your primary care doc every three months how the bed's going, you know, blah, blah, blah. Let's look at your test results. Could every one, of, every other one of those visits be via video? Mm -hmm. More convenient for you, potentially lower cost, more convenient for the doc, right? But again, it's one of those, it's a big change in the relationship between the doc and the patient. So both sides, we need to kind of get to a level of comfort. I'm really curious about how 
these kinds of systems address the potential of missed diagnoses. In other words, you used your ear infection example yeah. earlier. What if that annual ear infection that you get next year is actually something more serious than you had last year, right. different cause, right. different illness, different ailment? Right. How does the system deal with that in the telehealth scenario? Yeah, I think it, it's, and that's one of those things that we're learning. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not an MD. I'm not going to, you know, comment on these things. But what I've heard from the experts is that access to care actually is vastly more important than some of these issues about maybe maybe not being there in person. And so the trade-off is maybe not, hey, you were there in person and I might have caught something in that 1% of the time, but think of the 20 or 30% of the time somebody didn't seek care because it was inconvenient or they didn't have access. So if you look across like, the overall population, there is this trade-off. But it's certainly, to your point, one of the things we're learning about, okay, well, how does – how does somebody work over video, over telehealth that's different? So we had an actual example of somebody who came in and couldn't get an appointment with a live primary care doc, right? The wife had heard about it and said, okay, let's do this video thing. And the, the person had been not feeling well for a long time. Turned out through questioning that they had a much serious, more serious condition. Mm -hmm. The nurse practitioner says, well, you know, why don't you go into the ER and get a test run? Turned out they had a very serious problem that had it been delayed for weeks or months would have turned into you know a lot more serious and that and that person caught it so so when you really think about it, is it is it all about hands on or looking in your ear or is it about kind of this skill of understanding the person asking the right questions diving deeper I you know it's it's really both and I know a lot of this is still in the very early ages but you know 10, 15 years down the line after the initial investment has been made in all yeah. the technology we're talking about do you believe that this would lower the overall cost of healthcare? It would be one way to do that. So so not only do I hope that'll lower the overall cost of healthcare, and, and I'm very confident in that because this whole idea of getting you to the right venue of care. So so our data basically says over half of the people who come in into our emergency room don't have something severe enough to warrant being in the emergency room. That's a massive cost for our country to be seeing those folks, right? And so what we need to do is provide them alternatives and then help them get a comfort level with those alternatives that they can actually meet their needs. And that works all the way up the chains from something in an emergency room up to, you know, the sore throat in, in the earache. So, so we would absolutely be able to lower the cost, but I would go one step further, which is I think by having these other venues that are more convenient, we can create a, a higher level of engagement which drives toward what we started this conversation with, which is let's get out of the transaction mode and get in more of the relationship mode and let's be your partner in health, which will even further dramatically reduce the cost for our country in healthcare. All right, we have a ton more interesting questions for Mark, but first we're gonna take a quick break. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is brought to you by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group, helping to shift the industry from sick care to healthcare. Providence St. Joseph Health empowers people to take a greater role in managing and improving their health. Building on Providence's history as a disruptor, the Digital and Innovation Group leverages best-in-class digital tools to reimagine a better consumer experience in healthcare. Building healthier communities requires meaningful and personalized relationships that make Providence St. Joseph Health a trusted partner in people's lives. Follow the Digital and Innovation Group on Twitter at ProvInnovation. That's twitter.com slash P-R-O-V innovation. Now back to the show. Tell us more about yourself. As we teased earlier, uh, yeah. you have worked at Amazon. You were at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Yeah. You have a really interesting history. 
how did you get to this spot <laughs> and what's your interest in health and, and health care and, and tell, tell us more about your story. Yeah, well, um, I, I always look for, you know, and again, it's an overused word, but I always look for impact, right? So, so while I'm an engineer at heart and I like designing systems, I really like designing systems that'll move a needle. So my, my first job was at, I was lucky enough to get a job at NASA JPL. I was in space robotics and the research group. And we were working on what is the, how do you run ro robots on orbit for satellite servicing, for the space station? How do you control robots from the ground under time delay? And so it was an R&D group and it was a lot of fun because we were in the lab playing around with stuff. And that really kind of, you know, from a mechanical engineer to a software guy, right? I always say robots are 10% math and 90% software. Yeah. Really kind of spending a lot more time about software, but also algorithms. And we were doing, you know, 3D graphics and, and you know, and, and you know, in some ways we talk about telehealth. Big thing in those days was telerobotics. So how do you control the robot remotely? And so, on Mars. On, on Mars, right, yeah, exactly. If, if with you time think, yeah. If yes. you think getting into the doctor's <laughs> yes. office is difficult, try yes. getting onto Mars. Try getting onto Mars, <laughs> right. <laughs> and try picking up a rock in Mars without, exactly. You know, exactly. exactly. Um, um, yeah, after, after a number of years there, I was actually very much influenced by a, we had a visiting professor at Caltech who had come from industry and taught a bunch of classes on technology strategy and product management. And I didn't, I had never even heard. I'd never met an MBA. I, maybe I met one, but I didn't you know. NASA doesn't, you know, don't tout MBAs. And, and this guy was talking about product strategy. And what is this product stuff? And what is this technology strategy? And I was really intrigued by this whole idea of, of really thinking about kind of the strategy of this. And this was 1999. It was the dot-com boom in Pasadena. It was Idea Lab that had, you know, 25 startups in a warehouse. And I said, oh, I can really go learn about this stuff in a completely new way. And so I went to a startup at Idea Lab called paymybills.com, which was online banking before there was online banking. And it was just absolute craziness. I was employee number 23. In six months, we were at 200. Six months later, we were sold. And six months later, we were shut down, <laughs> right? But it truly was learned by doing everything wrong. It was just a bunch of guys thrown in a room and we were just you know, hacking like crazy to keep these systems up. So it was a great learning experience. But that was really my transition to the commercial sector. And from there, I went to a, another startup that was in the, in the B2B space. Um, and then from there, I went to Zinx Health, which was an established player, but was looking to kind of strengthen its technology a little bit. Those the last two companies were really where I got more and more exposure to healthcare. And then you worked in logistics at Amazon. <laughs> yes. So I was looking for a little bit of a change. No kidding. Yes. And I was deciding between a healthcare startup in Los Angeles and Amazon in Seattle. And I said, well, you know, I've done the healthcare thing. I understand it from a healthcare vendor side. I said, let me just jump into some craziness and try something completely new. And, you know, how many times, you know, when you talk about the big dogs of Amazon or Google, and just like it's an experience you want to have. And so that was a, a you know a, a vast a interesting learning experience just to think about the scale and the way they think. Is there anything you learned in logistics at Amazon because they are the masters yes. of logistics yes. that you apply to telehealth or your current role or their principles of of you know uh, well, connecting with folks? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. I mean, I mean, logistics aside, I think if you if you you know and everybody talks about kind of the amazon leadership principles i think they're a really great statement of things to think about in terms of building a culture of an organization and so i think being there inside and kind of living it and seeing it real firsthand was just a great learning experience the the interesting thing about many of the logistics things we were working at the time was it's a lot about data so when you so two two quick examples so the way the zip codes are laid out in china 
is kind of really interesting. And so you might have parts of Beijing which are in the same zip code and accessible by a, a one-hour delivery that are different than the same zip code that might take you three hours to deliver. So in terms of Amazon making a delivery promise when somebody's ordering, the zip code was really not enough. And so really, when you think about UPS or FedEx or, or Amazon, a lot of these logistic companies are data companies. I was literally in the UK the Sunday before Christmas on a truck delivering packages, and we were looking for an address called Piper Cottage, Milton Keynes. That was it. That was the entire, right? And we're driving around. There's no streets. There's no numbers. And we're asking people, and, and they're like, where's Piper College? Well, it's around that alley behind that bush. And like, well, the woman's like, I've been here 100 years. How do you not know where Piper Cottage is, right? So, but that's the data yes. of the logistics, right? So there's all this other machinery, but really that data that these large companies have learned over time allow them not only to pinpoint the delivery, to plan the routes, but also to make the promise to say, am I really going to deliver this tomorrow, or is it a two- or three-day delivery? So, so you're at the beginning of those stages in healthcare, right? Getting right. all the data to be able exactly to right have right deliver services with certainty. And it, yeah, and if and if there's anything I t- talk about over and over again in healthcare, the absolute most important thing we need to do is this idea of data liquidity between all of our siloed systems, so that over time we can bring all this data together. And whether it's personalization for you uh, about an application that we can be your partner in health, or whether it's um, you know a surveillance system that'll predict you know, somebody leaving the hospital that really shouldn't, right? And, and it really comes from that data as a starting point. So before we have one more segment we want to get to, but before okay. we move on, last question for you. I'm wondering what your biggest aha moment has been so far, interacting with like a doctor or a patient where you said, yes, that experience is what we are trying to do and, and what this is all about. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll give you two, right? One was personal and one was secondhand, right? So my personal one was just the convenience, right? And this is going to sound trivial, but the idea that I wasn't feeling well and I kind of put it off and I said, well, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on at work. And Friday, finally it's Saturday at five o'clock and I'm like, I felt like crap for three or four days, right? And normally you're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll tough it out, right? But I pulled up my app and I found a local express care site that was, you know, two miles away. It was inside of a Walgreens and I had a seven o'clock appointment and I pressed the button, I got in my car and I drove and, and saw the person and got my issue taken care of. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> right? Because you normally think about health care is something you do everything you can to put off dealing with, right? Because just the transactions of it are so difficult. The second one was actually with an interview we were doing with some, some product kind of hypothesis testing we were doing. Um, and it was really this whole idea we talked about of how do I understand my options and make a choice? And this person's um, spouse was on an international trip, came back, was really sick, was really sick for two days. And Friday, it's 10 o'clock, and they're like, you know, oh, my God, this person's not getting better. And, and through that interview and several interviews like it, two big ahas we had, which is, which is people tend to defer their own care, and they tend to be hypersensitive to the care of their children and their parents. But when it comes to themselves, they tend to underreact, which is really interesting. The second bigger aha moment, which is this whole idea that we're going to expect our patients to self-triage, and it's Friday night at 10, your spouse has been you know, really, really sick in graphic ways for 48 hours. At that moment, we want you to understand the difference between emergency room and urgent care and express care and video. That's not a realistic thing for us to ask our patients to do. So we need to do a much better job, not only in the moment, but also for 
for the, the training or the, the education of the system for the months and years ahead of time so that when you're in that moment, you understand, you say, okay, urgent care, this is an urgent care thing, I'm gonna go. Or yeah, I can really pick up the nurse helpline and have this taken care of. And so it's both an in the moment education thing, but it's also us training people over time what these different options are and so they can understand. And that's, and that's a challenge, right? It's beyond the technology of just building it. Okay, it's time for The Fix. This is the segment where we ask our guests about the biggest problem they see in health and what could be done to fix it. It could be a frustration from their professional work or one that they encountered in their personal lives. There's just one rule. It can't be something that they're already working on. So I'm going to cheat a little bit because this is sort of telehealth, but it's not telehealth in, in, the, in, in the realm we talked about. So, so between the time I got this job offer and I started. And I was talking to a lot of friends and colleagues. I was like, oh, I got this new job and here's the stuff we're working on. Literally 80% of the people, when you use the word telehealth, they said, you know what I want? I want to be in the room with my family member, most often an aging parent who's in a different state. Oh, I know what the fix is to this, but I don't yeah. want to <laughs> solve it for it, you. you know, but it's an easy, it's, 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 in yeah. some ways, technologically, yeah. it's an easy thing to do. But, the, but if you dig down a level or two, the core thing is I need better transparency into what's going on with my family members, but I need transparency not just in terms of access to the patient portal, but I want to be there and treated like a family, not an individual person. And so this whole idea, and I, and I joke sometimes, you know, we, we think of healthcare as your physical you and only you, and we put you in a room by yourself and talk about your physical health. Well, what about your mental health? And why isn't that together, right? So Providence is very dedicated to whole person care. Well, what about the health of you and your family together? Because you're all working together. And a lot of times your family, especially in chronic situations, your conditions are related to those of your family, right? Because you're acting as a family unit in the same habits and the same. And, and what the same about genes. Your, and the same genes and yes. your extended family with your parents and your children. So, so really, while it might sound simple as, hey, I just want to be in the room on the phone so I can ask the docs questions and interpret for my my parent, it really is much deeper in terms of I want to be treated as a family unit and understand what's going on with my health and so the health of those I care about. What's the fix for that? And it's a lot of little things, right? So it's part technology. It's it's better patient portals, which give you delicate access to your family members, right? Which we're working on today and we have a lot of. And it's expanding that information that's in those portals. So when, you know, my mom's oxygen was ordered, I know it was ordered and I know it's going to show up even though it's 3,000 miles away in Pennsylvania. It is allowing me to be in the room with the, the specialist when they're having the conversation. And I could be there in video or maybe even see kind of the lab results to be even better. But then it's over time having the, the healthcare establishment also treat us as a family unit, right? And, and really start to say, okay, we're a partner in this together, right? And so there's two sides of the coin. One is technological, but, but B, it's kind of, you know, it's a change in the way we think about interacting with individuals you know, and their families. Well, Mark Long, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you. This has been fun. It went it's, by really fast. It's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and to follow Providence, you can follow them at Prov Innovation on Twitter. What's the best way for folks to follow you? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I'm not on Twitter. No, okay. you can poke in LinkedIn or LinkedIn. Yes, there right, you go. LinkedIn. Yes, I was right, just right. looking at your LinkedIn profile. It looks yeah. like you're very uh, active there. All right. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm Claire McGrain. We'll talk to you next time on GeekWire. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Health Tech. 
a GeekWire podcast about the cutting edge of digital health. Sponsored by Providence St. Joseph Health's Digital and Innovation Group. Find more episodes at geekwire.com slash health tech and subscribe through iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm Claire McGrain. Thanks for listening.